0: We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day, referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So section 133. The gist of this one is everybody get ready for the second coming. And every time I read something like this because there's several times in the scriptures where they're talking about how not just in Doctrine and Covenants but in the Book of Mormon and stuff like that where they're talking about how the second coming is imminent that you know it's it's at hand that we need to be prepared because it could be any day we, no one knows when it could happen and it feels like what they're implying is that the Lord will come sometime very soon right really what I don't know What it means to me is you should just always be prepared. It doesn't matter when the Lord comes. It doesn't matter if it's soon. It doesn't matter if it's later. It doesn't matter if it's in five days, five years or five decades. You know, just be ready. Do the things you need to do to be ready because your probationary period could end at any time. Regardless of when the Lord comes, your time here on earth is finite. It will end and it could end today or tomorrow or in 50 years. So why not do the things now to be ready? Um, verse five: Go ye out from Babylon, be ye clean, and that bear the vessels of the Lord. Basically, this is code word for stop sinning. You know, repent. Find ways to to leave those bad habits behind. One of the one of my favorite talks. I think it's Elder Holland is quoting Elder Maxwell, I believe, and he says something like, "You can't have a a summer home in Babylon." You know. This idea of kind of have these lingering things that you that you continue to do that you know aren't right, but eh, it's OK. It's not that bad. Like, just enough. Just do away with them. Do away with the things that are holding you back, that are connecting you still to Babylon. Things that are not allowing you to be a full-time resident of Zion. pure in heart, the people who are trying to be righteous, regardless of their geographic location, um that's what we should be shooting for instead of lingering in babylon
1: i thought that was interesting when you're you're um you're mentioning you know be prepared because i was thinking about i told my son the other day i said hey it was on a sunday and i said hey friday i'm going to inspect your room so you have from now till friday to clean it you can decide you can do it all at once you can do it a little bit at a time but it was a mess it was going to take a and so he started doing it that same day. As soon as we had done talking, he started cleaning it. And it took longer and he had to throw away. It took a long time. We had a. He went with his mom to to a craft store to buy tubs so he could put certain things to reorder, which was good. It was the way it was supposed to be. And as soon as he was done, he's like, okay, you want to inspect it now? And I'm like, no. I said, I'll do it Friday. Because now it's like, well, if I inspect it now, you just cleaned it. <laughs> is i want you to think about it and so friday came and i think it was a very stressful day because it's stressful week for him because he was always like cleaning 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 <laughs> but he was waiting for the inspection right and so once the inspection was done now it's been a couple of days and the room's dirty again you know and i'm trying to get across like the what i'm trying to get you to do is not to pass inspection what i'm trying to get you to do is to have a clean room you know, and I often think about that with the second coming, as like, I wonder if the Lord doesn't tell us when, because what he's trying to get us to do, he'll, he'll, it kind of is defeated by having a date, you know, because we'll just focus on passing inspection, we won't focus on growing and becoming who we're supposed to be, you know, and so, because I, I often think about the second coming, I was like, what, what is this? Is it like a trickery? Is it like, a, not a trickery, but like, what are we, why does it have to not, nobody knows, but everybody talks about it. Yeah. So then I thought, well, maybe it has more to do with, we need a focus on developing. Like you said, we should be ready all the time. We should try to always be ready. And that that makes more sense than trying to figure out when it is, you know? And people, it's almost like we try to prepare for something, but are we who we are or are we just trying to pass inspection,
0: you know? Well, and it's why we have baptism, and it's why we have the sacrament once a week, right? So that we can do those things to get back on the path again, to just in increments become a little bit better every day, every week, every month. Um, I mean, that that's why we do it. It's not... It's not something that you're meant to just do all at once right before the second coming, or like you said, kind of just wait till you pass inspection, wait till you get some sort of approval. I'm saved now, so I'm good. Now I can do what I whatever I want because I've already just I've accepted the savior. I'm good now. You know? No, it's it's a long-term habit forming, is what the Lord wants. He wants consistency from us that's really hard. In verse 16 is another one uh, that I like. It says, hearken and hear, O ye inhabitants of the earth. Listen, ye elders of my church together, and hear the voice of the Lord. For he calleth upon all men, and he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And I don't know how many different ways you can say it. Hearken and hear, listen, hear. Like, all of that in one verse, basically saying, listen up. Like, pay attention to the Spirit. Pay attention to the Lord. The brethren have been doing this thing about hear him, right? And I think every one of the apostles has kind of released a video um, on the church website and on social media saying, here's how I hear him, kind of showing us the different ways that the Lord can communicate with us and how we can listen for promptings of the spirit and things like that. And I, I think that that's really going to become very imperative um, in, in all the noise of the world these days and all the voicing of opinions and different Ideologies and stuff like that. There's a lot of noise going on, a lot of yelling, a lot of grab trying to grab your attention. And just like Elijah, you know, when he heard the spirit, it was a still small voice, but you have to listen for that still small voice. We have to be cognizant that it's going to take effort to try to find that signal in all that noise. Try to listen very carefully to what the spirit is asking of us in order to not just be drowned out by. Everything else that's happening.
1: So the other thing that was. That's. Interesting to me. Was in verse. um, 19. Where it says wherefore prepare ye for the coming of the bridegroom. Go ye go ye out to meet him. Um, It was the word bridegroom. Because it automatically reminded me of the parable of the ten virgins. Right. And. And the story or the parable or the teaching that, you know, there were 10 virgins, five foolish, five were wise, five had enough oil in their lamps, and five, uh, when they saw that it was time that the bridegroom was coming, ran out of oil and wanted to go get some more, actually wanted to borrow some and couldn't, and then went and then they missed and they weren't invited inside to the feast, right? Um, And so whenever I look, I think about that and I think about how that parable is meant not for the world but for church members to to because they they all knew, they all had knowledge and they all wanted to go. It wasn't oh they got convinced at the last minute and were caught and prepared. No, it's you wanted it to go. So it's talking about anyone who is a member and wants to participate, but just aren't doing what they should be doing to spiritually prepare themselves. And that reminded me of President Nelson's uh recent uh, in the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding direction and comforting and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. And that was in uh, April 2018 General Conference. And so that's right before the pandemic, right? Yep. Uh So we're so so. You think about where the Lord is telling us here: Prepare ye for the coming of the Bridegroom. I like you, I, I read all of these verses, and the, it's kind of, you know, there's many instances of this is going to happen, this is this, this is that, and it's not very specific, and there are a lot of them, you could take them allegorically, or or, or literally, I don't know, um, but what it's talking is that there's going to be a lot of change, physically, a lot of tumult, and then it talks about how the Lord is going to come, and he's going to come in red, Uh meaning he's not coming peacefully so here's the part that gets me is when he starts talking about malachi and he quotes malachi and he's talking he's quoting the prophet malachi that in verse 64 where he says for behold the day cometh and shall burn as an oven and all the proud yea all that do wickedly shall be stubble and the day in in the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Wherefore, this shall be the answer of the Lord unto them. And so before we read 66 and 67, I want to jump to John in the New Testament, chapter 15, verse 15, verse 13 through 15, where the Lord says, verse 12 actually starts. He says, this is my commandment that ye love one another. As I have loved you, greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you; henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not the Lord, knoweth not what his Lord doth, but I have called you friends, for all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you so I think that's very touching and true of the way that the Lord, our relationship with the Lord progresses. We progress as almost investigators trying to find out what's going on to servants, to just be obedient to friends. Now you understand why we're doing the things we're doing. You know, why I'm asking you why this gospel makes sense. And then in verse back to TNC 133, I think it's very sad because as our friend, having our friend tell us this personally, if a friend came to you, think of your best friend. If they came to you and say, in the day when I came unto you or my own, no man among you received me and you were driven out. When I called again, there was none of you to answer. Yea, my arm was not shortened at all that I could not redeem, neither my power to deliver. So he's kind of saying I have called you, my friends. I've died for you. But when I came to you, you didn't answer. You didn't receive me. And he even says in verse 67, but I still carried out my part of the deal. I can still redeem and I still have power to do everything I promised I would do for you. And I feel like very much with Malachi and a lot with Isaiah that the Lord is constantly trying to remind us, that he is sure to his promises and that, you know, even that powerful Isaiah chapter where he says, you know, or verses where he says, can a can a hen, you know, uh, um, I have gathered you like a hen gather her sh- chicks, you know, can, can a mother forget her sucking child, you know, you know, these, these analogies and terms where he's saying, I have not forgotten you, I have imprinted you in my hands, you know. Uh, I've died for you. And and so I don't know. I I just feel like I I try to ask myself if Jesus Christ, if he was like my friend down the street, you know, lives a couple of houses over. Am I a good friend to him? Could he ever say these things to me? You know, say, hey, I called and you didn't answer. I came and you weren't prepared, you know, so the story of the bridegroom of the, of the or of the whole second coming isn't that he's not telling us because he wants to surprise us. <laughs> I think he's not telling us because he's continuously, like in the oligory of the olive tree, he's continuously saying, let's prune a little bit more. Let's add more dung. And the servants are saying, guys, it's time to burn this up. No, no, counsel me not. Let's do go out one more time and give them another chance and try again. And it's in that mindset where I think I feel – Like the savior is trying so hard to get us to turn from our ways and giving us every opportunity um, that he's, you know, anyway, I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that does. And really, I think the whole message of this of this section is not a threat. I, I, I feel like a lot of times we look at it as, you know, they shall be stubble is like oh the lord is is like going old testament on us here you know (laughs) that he's this vengeful uh destructive god but that what he's saying is if you guys don't if you aren't prepared if you aren't doing what you need to be doing you will not have the blessings of what can come in the second coming you will not have the blessing blessings of exaltation which is really the only thing that we're shooting for and so if those blessings aren't if you don't have them you know it's like what what was all this for you you, everyone has equal opportunity to obtain that and the lord protects that and gives us the opportunity to do that with his atonement um, it's a it's an interesting section for sure so section 134 you know if we're Looking at the the Sunday School lesson, basically what it talks about is governments were instituted for God. Governments were instituted of God for the benefit of man, which is one of the first phrases in this. I think it is. Yeah, the first sentence we believe that governments were instituted of God for the benefit of man. And it's interesting because this whole entire section is kind of like a it's a declaration, right? Um, It was written to kind of say, here's how we, as a church, as a people, view the purpose of government. And you have to keep in mind the context of when this was written and what was going on. Um, They had been uh, basically kicked out of Missouri on an execution order. They had not been protected. This is now twice that they've had to completely leave the states that they were in and and run away uh, under threats of mob violence. People feeling threatened by them because of their beliefs, by the maybe the quantity of believers that were arriving. Uh, kind of the idea of we're being overrun by these people, and now they're going to have more power than even we we have. That we've been, you know, we, we're from here. We need to get them out of here. And so that this section really talks a lot about the the freedom to practice religion as you desire, the freedom that the government has to protect. There are a few uh, verses in here that seems <laughs> particularly relevant right now. Um, verse five, we believe that all men are bound to sustain and uphold their respective governments in which they reside, while protected in their inherent and inalienable rights by the laws of such governments, and that sedition and rebellion are unbecoming every citizen thus protected and should be punished accordingly, and that all governments have a right to enact such laws as in, as is in their own, Judgments are best calculated to secure the public interest at the same time, however, holding sacred the freedom of conscience. The two things we're balancing here, right, are the freedom to practice your religion however you would like. And also the freedom to maintain or the, the need to maintain peace and order. And so that's kind of the balance I was talking about. And recently, uh, let's see, when was it? November 12th, Elder President Oakes gave a speech at the University of Virginia. The Joseph Smith lecture. They they invited him to go and speak there and he gave a speech called Going Forward with Religious Freedom and Non-Discrimination. And uh, I just want to read a couple of sections from here. There's just one paragraph. He goes, I begin with a proposition I hope all will share. As a practical basis for coexistence, we should accept the reality that we are fellow citizens who need each other. This requires us to accept some laws we dislike, and to live peacefully with some persons whose values differ from our own. Amid such inevitable differences, we should make every effort to understand the experiences and concerns of others, especially when they differ from our own. We can only succeed in this effort to the extent that we acknowledge and respect each other's highest ideals and human experiences. We must not be part of what Professor Arthur C. Brooks of Harvard's Kennedy School described as, A culture of contempt, a habit of seeing people who disagree with us as not merely incorrect or misguided, but as worthless. When when I listened to this talk, uh, a lot of it resonated. um, He he goes on to talk about how we have a right to practice our religion as protected by the Constitution. But we also have the, the obligation to allow others to do the same as as they would like to practice their religion, whatever that may be. And he kind of talks about how there's certain groups that want to restrict uh, the freedom of religion in in the interest of non-discrimination. And he's like these two groups end up kind of being posed against each other, being opposites. And he's like, I understand that this is a lot more complicated than just saying, can we all just get along? But here are the ways that we can still represent our respective sides and not completely obliterate the other side. And I I would encourage anyone to read this talk or this speech that he gave just because it it does. It is from a, a member of the first presidency, and though it wasn't in conference and it's not technically scripture, he is representing our views as members of the church. And he's talking about how, you know. There are sometimes we have to accept laws that we don't necessarily agree with because it maintains peace and it maintains order. And it doesn't mean that we have to stop doing things or change how we do things. Uh, as long as it's within the realm of the, the law, we can still do that. There. The religious duty to obey the law of the land and to live peaceably with all people does not contemplate that the religion will abandon the public square. In a free society like ours all are lawfully privileged and morally obligated to exert their best political efforts to argue for what they think is most desirable for example it is well known that the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints exercised its constitutional right to express its position that the traditional legal definition of marriage should be preserved but in 2015 when the supreme court pronounced the legality of same-sex marriage the church immediately ceased all such opposition and publicly acknowledge its acceptance of the constitutional law established by the nation's highest court. Basically saying, we have the right to express our opinion as as a religion and as adherence to that religion. We have a right to say, here's what we believe is morally correct. But if the law passes and it is not in our favor, it doesn't mean that we all have to go out and and practice same-sex marriage. But we do need to accept that that's what the law has decided, and we do need to accept that, okay, well, we're not going to continue to to fight that battle. we're going to continue to live the way we know we should live, but the decision has been made, and if further decisions come up or questions come up, we can voice our opinion again, right but he's basically saying like there are some times when uh in the interest of protecting religious freedom, we need to allow for laws that maybe we don't necessarily agree with uh, to be enacted that way we can we, we don't end up coming across just like we're we're attacking attacking attacking, but we can have good favor next time it comes around here's an opinion that we have, maybe that will be enforced as well. Kind of an interesting talk
1: yeah i i I was trying to some of the history in this section is. The saints are trying to or the leaders of the church at the time are trying to express to the locals that they aren't there to change their laws, that they will abide by the laws of the land and that their religious beliefs and that the church will always ask or they will ask their members to change their conscience, you know, or, or, you know, their, their 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 with things regarding their soul, basically. Uh, and that the the right to property, the right to have freedom, that those things are also given to us by God, but they will follow the laws of the land. Because at this time, I think it's like they they kind of wanted to know where the saints uh, lie, where the saints were with the with um, with sla- slavery, you know. Um, because that was a very big hot topic issue, which leads to the Civil War <laughs> a couple of years later. Yeah. Um, so. So, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting. I personally I like verse eight was my favorite one because hmm. it says we believe that the commission of a crime of crime should be punishable according to the nature of the offense that murder, treason, robbery, theft and the breach of general peace in all aspects should be punishable according to the criminality and their tendency to to do to evil among men by the law of that government in which the office is committed, and for the public peace and tranquility of all men should step forward and use their ability to bring offenders against good laws to punishment. And so I, I thought that was good. I, I think what it's trying to say is uh that those that have the right or those that are in government should for the public peace and tranquility step forward and use their ability, which is the uh, their office that has been given to them by society, to bring offenders and good law into punch. I I don't know. I just like the that the law is there to keep the peace and tranquility. You know, and it almost seems like we live in a day that every law actually spins people into more turmoil and less peace. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. I just.
0: Well, the very next verse kind of speaks to what you were saying um, in verse nine. We do not believe it just to mingle religious influence with civil government, whereby one religious society is fostered and another pers- proscribed in its spiritual privileges and the individual rights of its members as citizens is denied. We believe that all religious societies have a right to deal with their members for disorderly conduct according to the rules and regulations of such such societies. Basically, they're saying, hey, everybody around us, um, we're not thinking that we're going to establish a theocracy that will govern you. We have our own rules, and we will follow those rules within our realm, but we will not be imposing our religious beliefs and practices and and governance, on you, if you're not part of this, and I think that was something important for them. I think there were also, I mean, the the history um, in the uh, Revelations in Context book. It talks a lot about this section in in Lyman White, um, and it says Lyman White looked with pride upon his father's military service during the American Revolution. To White, American victory in that conflict had done more than secure independence for the United States. It had secured rights and to life and liberty for the American people. White believed those values were the lasting legacy of the American Revolution and enlisted to fight in the War of 1812 to protect them. However, White's optimistic perception of these American ideals was severely challenged by his experiences as a church member living in Missouri during the 1830s. When he and more than 1,000 other Latter-day Saints moved to Jackson County, Missouri between 1831 and 1832, many residents of the county disliked Mormon beliefs and feared their potential influence on local politics. But rather than honor the rights of the church members to worship and vote according to the dictates of their own consciences, Jackson County residents used extra legal violence to force the saints to either forsake their faith or leave the county. Acting as vigilantes, these Missouri citizens physically abused church members living in the county, destroyed their property, and eventually ordered them to leave. And I think that was the sentiment among many members of the church, was like, we especially people who had emigrated, you know, who had immigrated from other countries and emigrated from other parts of the country was that this was a land of opportunity, a land of religious freedom where we didn't have to be subject to whatever the government will tell us to believe or whatever. And also we fought the, for these freedoms, these liberties to practice our religion as we wanted. And here they are not seeing that in practice and even seeing government officials saying, yeah, we can have these, these people doing whatever they want out there
1: no i I think you're spot on, and it's 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 funny that we forget that you know. I often think about the constitution and and it being inspired and the principles in it and I think about it might be because of those principles of freedom that we we find that there are examples where we as a country or those elected officials aren't living up to those standards you know or we and ent- we have phases where we aren't treating all men equal before god you know the years of slavery but it's because those principles remain there that it creates a dissonance in all of us that c- pushes individuals to fight for better improvements you know you know i think it, it's the same i think it's the same constitution that allowed slavery to happen that also allowed it to not happen anymore If that makes sense, and I think, you know, we as Latter-day Saints we are very unique because we're literally well, the the history of the church is one that the early saints were discriminated against. They were uh, placed in situations that were almost like entrapment uh, and lying by global uh, local officials and and. you know, having their property confiscated, their religious li- rights suppressed, And so we, in our day, should be very sympathetic of individuals who are in situations like that still, in one way or another, as opposed to uh, forgetting that these things happen, you know, uh, and pretending that no wrong is ever committed, right? That, that everything is fine because, in our neighborhood, everything feels fine, but uh, mm-hmm. there are, you know, there are individuals in this country and around the world who have to deal with unjust rulers, uh, you know. That that, and I think that's where I get the gist of this lesson. Is the Lord is saying to be organized and to have laws is great. To sorry, <laughs> to have those laws revolve around the principles of freedom is even better, you know, and then to have uh, your religious institutions that allow individuals and the laws, you know, to work together where you can believe what you will. I think there is a point in here where it says, as long as it doesn't infringe on someone else's. Okay, verse four, where it says, we believe that religion is instituted of God and that man, and that men are in... amenable to him and to him only for the exercise of it unless their religious opinion prompts them to infringe upon the rights and liberties of others
0: right because you can't go around saying it's my religion that you have to wear a straw hat everywhere you go it's like what that's that's overreach right i mean that's a stupid example but that's kind of what it is it's like we believe in the freedom of religion as long as it doesn't impede other people from being free to do the same.
1: Yeah, and I think I think we forget that principle because I see it tossed around everywhere lately where, oh, it's my freedom to do this, but hey, your action is affecting others or yeah. infecting others or whatever, however you want to call it, right? I, I remember an individual, <laughs> this is a bad example, you might have to edit this out, There's this guy who wanted to um, get in a, a plastic bubble and run over the ocean from Florida to Cuba. And he did it one time and he got in trouble and the Coast Guard had to rescue him, you know. And then he did it again. Same thing almost happened. The Coast Guard had to rescue him. But now they charged him, you know, they charged him with some sort of. And I'm like, you know, it's your freedom to do that. But then when we have to pay the price to rescue you, (laughs) you know, it's that kind of thing where it's uh, now you're affecting others. And now we do have a right to impede or your freedom, you know, or what you perceive to be freedom. And it's kind of like that. It's like, well, you can go camping and start fires and cook some food. But if you start a fire irresponsibly and burn out a forest and take down half a town, yeah, that wasn't freedom. You know what I mean? And um, I don't know. We we kind of forget that. That freedom has responsibility and it has limits. It's not limitless. You know?
0: In the, in the Sunday School manual, there's a quote by Elder Hales. It says, there are four cornerstones of religious freedom that we as Latter-day Saints must rely upon and protect. First is freedom to believe. Uh, no one should be criticized, persecuted, or attacked by individuals for... Go- or governments either for what he or she believes about god the second cornerstone of religious liberty is the freedom to share our faith and our beliefs with others as parents full-time missionaries member missionaries we rely on religious freedom in order to teach the Lord's doctrine in our families and throughout the world the third cornerstone of religious freedom liberty is the freedom to form a religious organization a church or to worship peacefully with others the 11th article of faith declares we claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty. According to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege let them worship how where or what they may the fourth cornerstone of religious liberty is the freedom to live our faith free exercise of faith not just in the home and chapel but also in public places it's interesting because you know there's especially in the south there's a lot of uh, places where they've had uh, very overtly religious things in public spaces like giant copies of the 10 commandments in some public park you know and there have been people that have gone and said hey that i don't really subscribe to these and i don't appreciate that they're in a public space um i would kind of like these not to be here because i don't believe in this and it becomes this whole thing of oh you're attacking our faith you're attacking our religion they're trying to take god out of this and this and that and it's like Yeah, to some degree, I'm sure that there are people that latch onto that and say, "Yeah, let's let's diminish the effect of God in our lives." But on the other hand, I think also there may be some people who just don't really want that around, and we need to be aware of that. And need to be like, "Okay, well, I don't need to have a a giant copy of the Ten Commandments in City Park for me to be a good Christian." I don't need that. And if that's bothering someone to the point where it's infringing on their freedom to believe or not believe whatever they want, maybe it's okay to take that down. It doesn't represent them, and this park is theirs too. Maybe it's okay to take that down. If I want to put it up in my yard, I should be allowed to do that, right? (laughs) Because it's my property. Um, But if it's public space, maybe there's some okay truth to that. Maybe it's not something we want to impose on others, right? I, I just feel like in, in many ways, people are saying that they're trying to take, you know, they're trying to, to ruin Christmas. They're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. I think we do enough, a good enough job of that on our own. By replacing it with, you know, candy canes, snowmen, Santa Claus. <laughs> we we have to fight in order to establish what the whole purpose of Christmas is about with our kids, because all they see is, you know, that there's going to be Rudolph red Reindeer on TV.
1: So this is this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm a, I would rather have a holiday that unifies the entire country more than making it about Christ because <laughs> hold on. That sounds bad because I think as Christians, your whole life should be about Christ. And it's like President Hinckley when he said, what's just a symbol of your faith? And he says, it's not in your temples, it's not the cross, it's not this, it's the life of your members. You know, it's a living gospel. And so in, in, under that <laughs> understanding is where I would say, I think it's better to be unified. Because I don't know that Christ, well, I won't speak for him, but it, from what I've felt and seen and heard and read, he, when he was here on earth in his ministry, he had all power. Even Satan tempted him saying, hey, cast yourself from this from this wall and two legions of angels would come and catch you, you know, whatever. Right. Do this, do that. And and he was always and he never did. You know, Christ's way is not to force compliance, right. even though he has all power. Our governments and other leaders in the world would force compliance, but they can't because they don't have the power. And that's why we dilute it through checks and balances and all of these things, because if you were to get one bad apple, they could make a lot of trouble for everybody. That's what the Book of Mormon uh, teaches us and why they set up the, the judges, And even though they had a righteous king, King Mosiah, you know, and all these things, right? So I'm saying all that to say, If the individual whom we are to model our life has all power and chooses not to force behavior, should his disciples do the same? Should we follow in those footsteps where, hey, I have the ability to run you out of town, but I'm not going to, you know?
0: Well, it's the same principle, like when you read the the objective of the missionary in gospel, and preach my gospel. The first word of the paragraph is invite all to come into Christ. Invite. Once again, you're inviting people. You're not saying obligate or force people or you know corner them into guilt trip them into listening about Christ. No, it's invite invite people. And they have the the agency to say no. They have the freedom to say no, thank you. I'm not interested. And you should not hold any kind of anger or resentment towards them for doing that i remember as a missionary sometimes i felt frustrated like how i'm here trying to share this message with you and people are like i'm not interested like yeah but you don't understand They're like i don't care i don't want it and it was kind of frustrating because it was like how do i get this message across to people that they need this
1: dude it's like in the book of mormon where where neef where alma the younger is out there teaching and and the people say to them hey they won't let us in their synagogues because we're like of lesser class and he's like rejoice he's like do you think that's the only place you can worship god do you think that's the (laughs) only day and that kind of reminds us a lot of us it's like do you think the word christmas is the only thing that can get you there do you think that this do you think that that and you see all the examples especially in the book of mormon where okay um alma the younger or alma the older is escaping with with the righteous people from limhi and and um Okay, well now they won't let you guys pray. Now they'll put burdens on your back. And the Lord says, "Well, pray in your hearts then." Pray in your right. hearts. You know, and, and and all of these examples where the building, the event, the paper, whatever, it doesn't make the gospel. It's in your heart and the Lord accepts who you are, not so much what you are to others, you know? And uh, if out
0: in front of City Hall they decide to put a sign that says Happy Holidays or Happy Winter Fest or whatever, instead of specifying Christmas or calling out Christianity, that has no influence at all whatsoever on your ability to celebrate Christmas however you want. That does not negatively affect your ability to worship the Savior during that time. What it does is it says, hey, we those who do not prescribe, as it you know talked about in section 134, to the same belief, we don't want to exclude you. You're included in this too. Now, if you want to practice Kwanzaa, if you want to practice Hanukkah, if you want to practice Christmas, that's up to you. Whatever you want. That's your business. Practice it how you and you should be free to do that. But I feel like a lot of times it's like, oh, they won't even say Merry Christmas. And it's like, well, they don't have to. You can say it. You can say whatever you want. And you can practice that in your own home, however you would like. Yeah. But don't force the, the, well, the organization to do whatever you want. right?
1: It It's like us, you know, where, where we find out that April 6th is actually the birthday of Christ, <laughs> you know. When yeah. you realize that the tradition of Christmas actually might have originated with with pagan worshiping and bringing up really trees yeah. indoors, right? It, when you realize that the end of the year, you know, there's also you have Kwanzaa, Han or Hanukkah, right? Um, you know, and and it's and then when you realize, well, the end of the year always uh, falls on a fiscal. Financial calendar year for most businesses. And it might be driven a lot by commercialism. But even all of that is no barrier for you having a wonderful time and deciding that, hey, for us in our family and our traditions, we're going to talk about the Savior. We're going to talk about the manger and this story just as a reminder. And yeah, we're going to have presents and we're going to eat a lot of food and we're going to put up lights and whatever, right? I was talking to my son and I was telling him, you know, hey, Um, you know, Christmas, you can think about three buckets, you know, one is you can make it about the Savior, you know, and you can also make it about Santa Claus, and Santa Claus can mean the spirit of giving, the spirit of service amongst each other, the spirit of, because that's really what he is, you know, and the magic that you as children have over someone's notices you're doing good and they're going to come give you some good gifts but the secret is it was your parents all along right uh, you know and then there's like just getting stuff you know and those aren't all exclusive like uh, mutually exclusive those can all exist in the same event you know it's not the end of the world it's it's almost like when we talk about if you have to get up in sacrament meeting to then be shamefully in 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 and, 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 and Announce public shame that you never tell your family you love them enough, but in this one public (laughs) event, you are about to tell them how much you love them. Yeah, you may not be doing it right. If it takes this one thing, this one event for you to actually express your feelings to which you do more for actual social credit than actually how you actually treat them at home – then you might see that there's a flaw in this. And so same thing with Christmas, same thing with it. And, and I don't know how we're just talking so much about Christmas, probably because it's <laughs> around the corner. But when we look at what the gospel is and, and the separation of rules and governments and, and what the Lord is trying to get at the principles of freedom, that someone else having freedom does not take freedom from you. Right. Someone else wanting a cookie and you believe in only gluten-free uh, hot dogs doesn't make you enemies you know the if if Christ is in the business of bringing all God's children back saving them all or bringing them all inviting them giving them opportunity he does not start to cast people off at the first sign of difference instead he himself did something called the atonement where he walked in everyone's shoes so he could better Sucker his people so he could better talk to them so he could understand Ah, i see where you're coming from now let's go from that point and get you to point b and from point b let's get you to c and and from there we get you celestial kingdom and we see that your path might have been like this somebody else's might be a straight shot somebody you know and all are alike unto god
0: go i think it's just a, an interesting idea you know that we we live in a world where we're being told that this is the that the gospel is the only truth that can bring true happiness. And so a lot of times what that leads us to believe is that if it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have to rebuke it. And that also then leads to if you're not doing everything that the Lord says to do, then you're in the wrong. And then that also leads to us starting to judge others for the actions and beliefs that they have. And I think the general rule of thumb, if it's not inviting, if it's not unifying, if it's not promoting peace and understanding, then that's also not of the Lord. He's telling us, you know, everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own agency. They will use it as they will. Invite them. Welcome them. Understand them. But when it comes into judging people or forcing people to do something just because you know that it's right. That's where the Lord's like, that's not how I want this done. He didn't do it that way. And he doesn't want us to do it that way either. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing. For we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me.